Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. And for a dose of humanity, why not check out a book of short stories from the great Danielle Arcon? I recommend his collection, The King is Always Above the People, narrated by David DeSantos. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. You can start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text L-E-V-A-R to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Growing up, reporter Jonathan Hirsch's family was, well... A little different. They followed a controversial spiritual leader named Franklin Jones. Now, to Jonathan's parents, Franklin Jones was a god. But to people outside of the group, Franklin Jones was a cult leader. Dear Franklin Jones is a new podcast from Stitcher. Join Jonathan on a journey to find out what really happened and whether the group really did become a cult. Subscribe to Dear Franklin Jones in Stitcher on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. Only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Well, y'all, today's story is by the masterful, the incomparable Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury shaped the way that we see the world today. He was definitely a visionary, and his work carried science fiction to the mainstream. 
He was, of course, the author of Fahrenheit 451 and many, many more novels and short stories. The story that I'm sharing today is called The Great Wide World Over There, and it is part of the anthology entitled Golden Apples of the Sun. This story holds a special resonance for me. Like many of Ray Bradbury's stories, we find joy in its simplicity, in the sense of wonder and the power in what we might consider to be the mundane. There's also a strong sense of nostalgia as he places us in a certain place in time that really does feel like it has gone by. But you'll know pretty much right away why I love this story like I do. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. The Great Wide World Over There by Ray Bradbury It was a day to be out of bed, to pull curtains and fling open windows. It was a day to make your heart bigger with warm mountain air. Cora, feeling like a young girl in a wrinkled old dress, sat up in bed. It was early, the sun barely on the horizon, but already the birds were stirring from the pines and ten billion red ants milled free from their bronze hills by the cabin door. Cora's husband, Tom, slept like a bear in a snowy hibernation of bedclothes beside her. Will my heart wake him up, she wondered. And then she knew why this seemed a special day. Benji's coming. She imagined him far off, leaping green meadows, fording streams where spring was pushing itself in cool colors of moss and clear water toward the sea. She saw his freckled face high in the sun looking giddily down his long body at his distant hands flying out and back behind him. Benji, come on, she thought, opening a window swiftly. Wind blew her hair like a gray spiderweb about her cold ears. Now Benji's at Iron Bridge, now at Meadow Pike, now up Creek Path, over Chesley's Field, somewhere. In those Missouri mountains was Benji. Cora blinked. Those strange high hills beyond which twice a year she and Tom drove their horse and wagon to town, and through which, thirty years ago, she had wanted to run forever, saying, Oh, Tom, let's just drive and drive until we reach the sea. But Tom had looked at her as if she had slapped his face, and he had turned the wagon around and driven on home talking to the mayor. And if people lived by shores where the sea came like a storm, now louder, now softer, every day, she did not know it. And if there were cities where neons were like pink ice and green mint and red fireworks each evening, she didn't know that either. 
her horizon, north, south, east, west, was this valley, and had never been anything else. But now, today, she thought, Benji's coming from that world out there. He's seen it, smelt it, he'll tell me about it, and he can write. She looked at her hands. He'll be here a whole month and teach me. Then I can write into that world and bring it here to the mailbox I'll make Tom build today. Get up, Tom. You hear? She put her hand out to push the bank of sleeping snow. By nine o'clock, the valley was full of grasshoppers flinging themselves through the blue piney air while smoke curled into the sky. Cora, singing into her pots and pans as she polished them, saw her wrinkled face bronzed and freshened in the copper bottoms. Tom was grumbling the sounds of a sleepy bear at his mush breakfast while her singing moved all about him like a bird in a cage. Someone's mighty happy, said a voice. Cora made herself into a statue. From the corners of her eyes, she saw a shadow cross the room. Mrs. Brabo? asked Cora of her scouring cloth. That's who it is. And there stood the widow lady, her gingham dress dragging the warm dust, her letters in her chickeny hand. Morning. I'd just been to my mailbox. Got me a real beauty of a letter from my Uncle George in Springfield. Mrs. Brabham fixed Cora with a gaze like a silver needle. How long since you got a letter from your uncle, Mrs.? My uncles are all dead. It was not Cora herself, but her tongue that lied. When the time came, she knew it would be her tongue alone that must take communion and confess earthly sinning. It's certainly nice getting mail. Mrs. Brabham waved her letters in a straight flush on the morning air. Always twisting the knife in the flesh. How many years, thought Cora, had this run on? Mrs. Brabham and her smiley eyes, talking loud of how she got mail, implying that nobody else for miles around could read. Cora bit her lip and almost threw the pot, but set it down, laughing. Ah, oh, I forgot to tell you. My nephew, Benji's coming. His folks are poorly, and he's here for the summer today. He'll teach me to write, and Tom's building us a postal box. Aren't you, Tom? Mrs. Brabham clutched her letters. Well, isn't that fine? You lucky lady. And suddenly, the door was empty. Mrs. Brabham was gone. But Cora was after her, for in that instant she had seen something like a scarecrow, something like a flicker of pure sunlight, something like a brook trout jumping upstream leap a fence in the yard below. She saw a huge hand wave and birds flush in terror from a crabapple tree. Cora was rushing, the world rushing back of her, down the path. Benji! 
They ran at each other like partners in a Saturday dance, linked arms, collided, and waltzed, jabbering. Benji! She glanced swiftly behind his ear. Yes, there was the yellow pencil. Benji, welcome. Why, ma'am, he held her off at arm's length. Why, ma'am, you're crying. Here's my nephew, said Cora. Tom scowled up from spooning his cornmeal mush. Mighty glad, smiled Benji. Cora held his arm tight so he couldn't vanish. She felt faint, wanting to sit, stand, run. But she only beat her heart fast and laughed at strange times. Now, in an instant... The far countries were brought near. Here was this tall boy, lighting up the room like a pine torch. This boy, who had seen cities and seas and been places when things had been better for his parents. Benji, I got peas, corn, bacon, mush, soup and beans for breakfast. Hold on, said Tom. Hush, Tom. The boy's been down to the bone with walking. She turned to the boy. Benji... Tell me all about yourself. You did go to school. Benji kicked off his shoes. With one bare foot, he traced a word in the hearth ashes. Tom scowled. What's it say? It says, said Benji, C and O and R and A. Cora. My name, Tom. See it? Oh, Benji, it's good you really write, child. We had one cousin here long ago claimed he could spell upside down and backwards. So we fattened him up and he wrote letters, but we never got answers. Come to find out, he knew just enough spelling to mail letters to the dead letter office. Lord, Tom knocked two months' worth of vittles out of that boy, batting him up the road with a piece of fence. They laughed anxiously. I write fine, said the serious boy. That's all we want to know. She shoved a cut of berry pie at him. Eat. By 10.30, with the sun riding higher, after watching Benji devour heaped platters of food, Tom thundered from the cabin, jamming his cap on. I'm going out, by God, and cut down half the forest, he said angrily. But no one heard. Cora was seated in a breathless spell. She was watching the pencil behind Benji's peach fuzz ear. She saw him finger it casually, lazily, indifferently. Oh, not so casual, Benji, she thought. Handle it like a spring robin's egg. She wanted to touch the pencil, but hadn't touched one in years because it made her feel foolish and then angry and then sad. Her hand twitched in her lap. You got some paper? asked Benji. Oh, land! I never thought! she wailed, and the room walls darkened. What'll we do? Just happens I brought some. He fetched a tablet from his little bag. You want to write a letter somewhere? She smiled outrageously. I want to write a letter to... to... 
Her face fell apart. She looked around for someone in the distance. She looked at the mountains in the morning sunshine. She heard the sea rolling off on yellow shores a thousand miles away. The birds were coming north over the valley on their way to multitudes of cities indifferent to her need at this instant. Benji, why, I never thought until this moment. I don't know anybody in all the world out there. Nobody but my aunt. And if I wrote her, it'd make her feel bad. A hundred miles from here to have to find someone else to read the letter to her. She's got a whalebone corset sort of pride. Make her nervous the next ten years, that letter setting in her house on the mantel? No, no letter to her. Cora's eyes moved from the hills and the unseen ocean. Who then? Where? Someone? I've just got to get me some letters. Hold on. Benji fished a dime magazine from his coat. It had a red cover of an undressed lady screaming away from a green monster. All sorts of addresses in here. They leaped through the pages together. What's this? Cora tapped an ad. Here's your power plus free muscle chart. Send name, address, read Benji, to department M3 for free health map. And what about this one? Detectives make secret investigations, particulars free. Write GDM Detective School. <laughs> Everything's free. Well, Benji, she looked at the pencil in his hand. He drew up his chair. She watched him turn the pencil in his fingers, making minor adjustments. She saw him bite his tongue softly. She saw him squint his eyes. She held her breath. She bent forward. She squinted her own eyes and clamped her tongue. Now, now Benji raised his pencil, licked it, and set it down to the paper. There it is, thought Cora. The first words. They formed themselves slowly on the incredible paper. Dear Power Plus Muscle Company, Sirs, he wrote, The morning blew away on a wind. The morning flowed down the creek. The morning flew off with some ravens and the sun burned on the cabin roof. Cora didn't turn when she heard a shuffle at the blazing sun-filled door. Tom was there, but not there. Nothing was before her but a series of filled pages, a whispering pencil and Benji's Palmer penmanship hand. Cora moved her head around, around with each O, each L, with each small hill of an M. Each tiny dot made her head peck like a chicken. Each crossed T made her tongue lick across her upper lip. It's noon, and I'm hungry, said Tom, almost behind her. But Cora was a statue now watching the pencil as one watches a snail leaving an exceptional trail across a flat stone in the early morning. It's noon, cried Tom again. 
Cora glanced up, stunned. Why, it seems only a moment ago we wrote to that Philadelphia coin collecting company. Ain't that right, Benji? Cora smiled a smile much too dazzling for a woman 55 years old. While you wait for your vittles, Tom, just can't you build that mailbox? Bigger than Mrs. Brabham's, please. I'll nail up a shoebox. Tom Gibbs, she rose pleasantly. Her smile said, better run, better work, better do. I want a big, pretty mailbox, all white, for Benji to paint our name on in black spelling. I won't have a shoebox for my very first real letter. And it was done. Benji lettered the finished mailbox, Mrs. Cora Gibbs, while Tom stood grumbling behind him. What's it say? Mr. Tom Gibbs, said Benji quietly, painting. Tom blinked at it for a minute, quietly, and then said, I'm still hungry. Someone light the fire. There were no stamps. Cora turned white. Tom was made to hitch up the horse and drive to Green Fork to buy some red ones, a green, and ten pink stamps with dignified gentlemen printed on them. But Cora rode along to be certain Tom didn't hurl these first letters in the creek. When they rode home, the first thing Cora did, face glowing, was poke in the new mailbox. You crazy, said Tom. No harm looking. That afternoon, she visited the mailbox six times. On the seventh, a woodchuck jumped out. Tom stood laughing in the door, pounding his knees. Cora chased him out of the house, still laughing. Then she stood in the window, looking down at her mailbox right across from Mrs. Brabham's. Ten years ago, the widow lady had plunked her letterbox right under Cora's nose, almost, when she could as easily have built it up nearer her own cabin. But it gave Mrs. Brabham an excuse to float like a flower on a river down the hill path, flip the box wide with a great coughing and rustling from time to time, spying to see if Cora was watching. Cora always was. When caught, she pretended to sprinkle flowers with an empty watering can or pick mushrooms in the wrong season. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more... Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. My recommendation today is Danielle Alarcón's The King is Always Above the People. It's got stories of doomed love, migration, and power, and it is a fascinating listen. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. 
You can start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500. That's audible.com slash L-E-V-A-R or text LeVar to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and first audiobook for free. You can do it with audiobooks. Support for today's episode comes from one of the world's most loved pearl jewelers, Pacific Pearls. With a growing army of over a quarter of a million raving fans, PacificPearls.com is rapidly inspiring women around the world by challenging them to unleash their inner diva and be the very best they can be every day. From classic pearl necklaces, beautiful earrings, sets, pendants, rings, and bracelets to contemporary mother-of-pearl jewelry, their stunning collections evoke the timeless elegance, mystery, and romance of the Pacific Islands. And today, you're privy to a fabulous offer you'll not be able to resist. Visit PacificPearls.com forward slash LeVar and use the Discount code LEVAR, LEVAR, to save 60% off of everything store wide. Plus, get free shipping in the U.S. and Canada and fast shipping worldwide. With gorgeous jewelry on sale from just $12, there's definitely something for you. Take full advantage of this exclusive offer by treating yourself to real pearls at 60% off. Go to PacificPearls.com slash LeVar right now and use the discount code LeVar at checkout for 60% off storewide. That's PacificPearls.com slash LeVar. Now, let's get back to our story. Next morning, Cora was up before the sun had warmed the strawberry patch or the wind had stirred the pines. Benji was sitting up in his cot when Cora returned from the mailbox. Too early, he said. Postman won't drive by yet. Drive by? They come in cars this far out. Oh, Cora sat down. You sick? And Cora? No, no, she blinked. It's just, I don't recall in 20 years seeing no mail truck whistle by here. It just came to me. All this time, I never see no mailman at all. Maybe he comes when you're not around. I'm up with the fog, Spunks. Down with the chickens. I never really gave it a thought, of course, but... She turned to look out the window up at Mrs. Brabham's house. Benji, I got a kind of sneaking hunch. She stood up and walked straight out of the cabin, down the dust path, Benji following, across the thin road to Mrs. Brabham's mailbox. A hush was on the fields and hills. It was so early, it made you whisper. Don't break the law, Aunt Cora. Shh! Here. She opened the box, put her hand in like someone fumbling in a gopher hole. And here. And here. She rattled some letters into his cupped hands. Why, these been opened already. You opened these, Aunt Cora? Child, I never touched them. Her face was stunned. 
This is the first time in my life I ever even let my shadow touch this box. Benji turned the letters around and around, cocking his head. Why, Aunt Cora, these letters, they're ten years old. What? Cora grabbed at them. Aunt Cora, that lady's been getting the same mail every day for years. And they're not even addressed to Mrs. Brabham. They're to some woman named Ortega in Green Fork. Ortega, the Mexican grocery woman. All these years, whispered Cora, staring at the worn mail in her hands. All these years. They gazed up at Mrs. Brabham's sleeping house in the cool, quiet morning. Oh, that sly woman, making a commotion with her letters, making me feel small, all puffed out she was, swishing along, reading her mail. Mrs. Brabham's front door opened. Put them back, Aunt Cora. Cora slammed the mailbox shut with time to spare. Mrs. Brabham drifted down the path, stopping here or there quietly to peer at the opening wildflowers. Morning, she said sweetly. Mrs. Brabham, this is my nephew, Benji. How nice. Mrs. Brabham, with a great swivel of her body, a flourish of her flower-white hands, wrapped the mailbox as if to shake the letters loose inside, flipped the lid, and extracted the mail, covering her actions with her back. She made motions and spun about merrily, winking. Wonderful! Why, just look at this letter from dear Uncle George. Well, ain't that nice, said Cora. Then, the breathless summer days of waiting. The butterflies jumping orange and blue on the air, the flowers nodding about the cabin, and the hard, constant sound of Benji's pencil scribbling through the afternoons. Benji's mouth was always packed with food, and Tom was always stomping in to find lunch or supper late, cold, or both, or none at all. Benji handled the pencil with a delicious spread of his bony hands, lovingly inscribing each vowel and consonant as Cora hovered about him, making up words, rolling them on her tongue, delighted each time she saw them roll out on the paper. But she wasn't learning to write. It's so much fun watching you write, Benji. Tomorrow, I'll start learning. Now, take another letter. They worked their way through ads about asthma, trusses, and magic. They joined the Rosicrucians, or at least sent for a free sealed book all about the knowledge that had been damned to oblivion, secrets from hidden ancient temples and buried sanctuaries. Then there were free packets of giant sunflower seeds and something about heartburn. They had worked back to page 127 of Quarter Murder magazine on a bright summer morning when... Listen, said Cora. They listened. A car, said Benji. And up the blue hills and through the tall, fiery green pines and along the dusty road, mile by mile, 
came the sound of a car riding along and along, until finally, at the bend, it came full thundering, and in an instant Cora was out of the door running, and as she ran, she heard and saw and felt many things. First, from the corner of her eye, she saw Mrs. Brabham gliding down the road from the other direction. Mrs. Brabham froze when she saw the bright green car boiling on the grade, and there was the whistle of a silver whistle, and the old man in the car leaned out just before Cora arrived and said, Mrs. Gibbs? Yes, she cried. Mail for you, ma'am, he said, and held it toward her. She put out her hand, then drew it back, remembering. Oh, she said, please, would you mind, would you put it, please, in my mailbox? The old man squinted at her, at the mailbox, back at her, and laughed. <laughs> Don't mind, he said, and did just that. Put the mail in the box. Mrs. Brabham stood where she was, not moving, eyes wild. Any mail for Mrs. Brabham? asked Cora. That's all. And the car dusted away down the road. Mrs. Brabham stood with her hands clenched together, then, without looking in her own letterbox, turned and rustled swiftly up her path, out of sight. Cora walked around her mailbox twice, not touching it for a long time. Benji, I've got me some letters. She reached in delicately and took them out and turned them over. She put them quietly in his hand. Read them to me. Is my name on the front? Yes'm. He opened the first letter with due carefulness and read it aloud in the summer morning. Dear Mrs. Gibbs. He stopped and let her savor it, her eyes half shut, her mouth moving the words. He repeated it for artistic emphasis and then went on. We are sending you our free folder, enclosed, from the Intercontinental Mailing Schools concerning full particulars on how you, too, can take our correspondence course in sanitary engineering. Benji, Benji, I'm so happy. Start over again. Dear Mrs. Gibbs, he read. After that, the mailbox was never empty. The world came rushing and crowding in, all the places she had never seen or heard about or been to. Travel folders, spice cake recipes, and even a letter from an elderly gentleman who wished for a lady, 50 years old, gentle disposition, money, object, matrimony. Benji wrote back, I am already married, but thank you for your kind and thoughtful consideration. Yours truly, Cora Gibbs. And the letters continued to pour across the hills. Coin collectors' catalogs, dime novelty books, magic list numbers, arthritis charts, flea killer samples. The world filled up 
her letterbox, and suddenly she was not alone or remote from people. If a man wrote a form letter to Cora about the mysteries of ancient Maya revealed, he was likely as not to receive three letters from Cora in the next week, budding out their formal meeting into a warm friendship. After one particularly hard day of writing, Benji was forced to soak his hand in Epsom salts. By the end of the third week, Mrs. Brabham no longer came down to her mailbox. She didn't even come out the front door of her cabin to get the air, for Cora was always down at the road, leaning out, smiling for the mailman. All too quickly, the summer was at an end. Or at least that part of the summer that counted most, anyway. Benji's visit. There was his red bandana handkerchief on the cabin table, sandwiches folded fresh and oniony in it, tied with a mint sprig to keep it clean to the smell. There on the floor, freshly polished, were his shoes to get into, and there... On the chair, with his pencil, which had once been long and yellow but was now stubby and chewed, sat Benji. Cora took hold of his chin and tilted his head as if she were testing a summer squash of an unfamiliar variety. Benji, I owe you an apology. I don't think I looked at your face once in all this time. Seems I know every wart on your hand, every hangnail, every bump and every crinkle, but I might pass your face in a crowd and miss you. It's no face to look at, said Benji shyly. But I'd know that hand in a million hands, Cora said. Let anyone shake my hand in a dark room, a thousand people, and out of all those I'd say, well, this one's Benji. She smiled quietly and walked away to the open door. I've been thinking. She looked up at a distant cabin. Ain't seen Mrs. Brabham in weeks. Stays in all the time now. I've got a guilty feeling. I've done a prideful thing, a thing more sinful than she ever done me. I took the bottom out of her life. It was a mean and spiteful thing. And I'm ashamed. She gazed up the hill toward that silent, locked place. Benji, would you do me one last favor? Yes, am Write a letter for Mrs. Brabham. Ma'am? Yes, write one of those companies for a free chart, a, a sample, something, and sign Mrs. Brabham's name. All right said Benji. That way, in a week or a month, the postman will come by and whistle, and I'll tell him to go up to her door, special, and deliver it. And I'll be sure and be out in my front yard where I can see, and Mrs. Brabham can see, I see. And I'll wave my letters to her, and she'll wave her letters to me. And everybody will smile. Yes, am said Benji. He wrote three letters, licked the envelopes carefully, stuck them in his pocket. I'll mail them when I get to St. Louis. It's been a fine summer, she said. 
It sure has. But Benji, I didn't learn to write, did I? I was after the letters and made you write late nights, and we were so busy sending labels and getting samples planned. It seemed there wasn't time to learn, and that means he knew what it meant. He shook her hand. They stood in the cabin door. Thanks, she said, for everything. Then he was running off. He ran as far as the meadow fence, leaped it easily, and the last she saw of him, he was still running, waving the special letters off into the great world, over the hills. The letters kept coming for some six months after Benji went away. There would be the postman's little green car and the sharp, ice-rhymed shout of good morning, or the whistle as he clapped two or three pink or blue envelopes into that fine mailbox. And there was that special day when Mrs. Brabham received her first real letter. After that... The letters were spaced a week apart, then a month, and finally, the postman didn't say hello at all. There was no sound of a car coming up that lonely mountain road. First, a spider moved into the mailbox, then a sparrow. And Cora, while the letters still lasted, would clutch them in her bewildered hands, staring at them quietly until the pressure of her face muscles squeezed clear, round, shiny drops of water from her eyes. She'd hold up one blue envelope. Who's this from? Don't know, said Tom. What's it say? she wailed. Don't know, said Tom. What's going on in that world out there? Oh, I'll never know. I'll never know now, she said. And this letter, and this one, and this. She tumbled the stacks and stacks of letters that had come since Benji ran off. All the world and all the people and all the happenings, and me not knowing. All that world and people waiting to hear from us and us not writing, and them not ever writing back. And at last... The day came when the wind blew the mailbox over. In the mornings again, Cora would stand at the open door of her cabin, brushing her gray hair with a slow brush, not speaking, looking at the hills. And in all the years that followed, she never passed the fallen mailbox without stooping aimlessly to fumble inside and take her hand out with nothing in it before she wandered on again into the fields. <laughs> Ray Bradbury. Wow. Wow. Um, 
first time I ever met Ray Bradbury was at uh, Public Library here in Los Angeles, California. We were there for a public library event of some sort or another. And it was, it was, it was one of those times in my life where I was just um, starstruck. It was Ray Bradbury. It always amazes me when when somebody uh, recognizes me <laughs> when I'm you know like fan fanning out. Um, but he did. He he was a friend of Gene's, Gene Roddenberry's, and and he was very familiar with Star Trek. And we were talking, and he shared with me that he wrote Fahrenheit four five one in the basement of a public library. In Los Angeles, he said that back in the day, there were these tables in the basement and typewriters, which you could use for a quarter, an hour. And he would come to the library, head down to that basement and those tables, and quarter by quarter, hour by hour, he typed Fahrenheit for Five, one. And I just marveled that here I was in the presence of greatness bringing me in and sharing with me a moment from his past. It, it, it remains one of the most magical moments of my life. There is magic in Ray Bradbury's writing for me. His turn of phrase, his descriptions that, that are just so stunningly beautiful in the way he uses words and conjures imagery. Um, and then, you know, this story particularly, because it's about reading, it's about how reading informs our lives, the magic that it brings into our lives. And the, the, the story is, is bittersweet because, you know, she has this wondrous summer uh, and then the rest of her life she goes back to that state of not knowing, that state of emptiness and longing and want. She had the opportunity. She had a whole month to learn, but she just got caught up in the magic of, of the written word, of, of what the word can bring into our lives. News, a sense of self, a sense of, of importance, of validation, right? And that was so seductive, she forgot the other half of the equation. She forgot to learn how to read herself. I love this story, for obvious reasons. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. Our assistant producer is Audrey No. Editing and sound design by the very talented Adam Dybert. And thank you, as always, to the eminently literate Matt Gourley. And I am incredibly honored and grateful to Ray Bradbury's daughters and his estate for allowing me to share his story, The Great Wide World Over There. You can find it in the anthology Golden Apples of the Sun, which is available in print and in audiobook format. And if you want to come check out a live version of this podcast, I hope to see you in Chicago, 
Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, or Seattle this spring. Check out LeVarBurtonPodcast.com slash tour to get your tickets to LeVar Burton Reads live. And hey, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, it's easy to do. Simply leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, tell us what story you would like to hear me read. We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story. Or if you can't wait that long, listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. Or if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium for one free month. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelette. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. My childhood was probably like yours in a lot of ways, except my family had, like, this secret. Give me your attention at any moment, and you will receive this grace. My parents were followers of this controversial spiritual leader, Franklin Jones. There's nobody here, no Franklin Jones, nobody like you, you see. For years, we truly believed Jones was a god. But for many others, Franklin Jones was a cult leader. Some of his followers now say he does just what he promised. They claim their lives were nearly destroyed by Jones. I left when I was 16. Now I'm talking to Jones's confidants and followers, as well as other people who left, and those who investigated the claims against Jones. Because my whole life I've wondered, what really happened? I've never got up the courage to go back and figure it out. Until now. I'm Jonathan Hirsch, and this is Dear Franklin Jones. Dear Franklin Jones starts February 28th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.